This is no ordinary sighting of an unidentified flying object. These pictures taken over a six-month period in Gulf Breeze, Florida, are the most spectacular evidence of UFOs ever gathered. While some say the photos are fakes, that would not explain the fact that more than 20 people have reported seeing these objects on the very same nights. No sound. There was no veering. It was a straight course. Halfway out over the bay, and uh, so I've never seen anything like that. There were portholes. We saw portholes of light coming out of the portholes. The man who took these pictures insists on remaining anonymous, so we'll call him Jim. We had a narrator read a transcript of our interview. Jim says his most threatening encounter with the UFOs occurred on this road. He says an object swooped over his car and sent out a beam of light. And it came through the windshield, hit my exposed arms and turned my skin to like it was asleep, but even worse. And then you don't have any feeling at all. I proceeded to panic. Forced off the road, Jim fumbled with the camera, managing to snap this one dramatic picture. A noted optical physicist calculated the object was hovering about three feet off the ground. Photography experts say such a picture would be virtually impossible to fake. Shooting out of the windshield of the car, through the windshield of the car, and being able to reproduce this object down the road reflecting on the surface of the road, I feel, would be very difficult to do. But not everyone buys that argument. The mayor of Gulf Breeze is convinced the UFO reports are an elaborate hoax that are damaging to the image of his city. I want to go on record as the mayor and express to all the population viewing this telecast Hey, all you lads and ladies, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, the podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, manga, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, pal. Hey, man. Summer's almost here, huh? Dude, I was just about to say that, man. I can't, look, I, I do have a feeling like I say, you know, with every season of the year, oh, yeah. I'm always like, mm -hmm. man, this is my favorite time of year. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think we just enjoy life, man. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I love the fall. I love this. I don't really, there's elements of spring that I love. It start, you know, kind of mm -hmm. for the most part because of the pollen and all that crap. Yeah, it's rough. We hate yeah, same. But for some reason, and I, and I was just talking to Ann about this, this summer, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm extremely excited. Maybe it's because it's like a little more mild than usual temperature-wise right now. Dude, here. the temperature is pretty awesome. It's amazing, right? Yeah. It feels kind of more like old school, hey, summer's about to begin weather here. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, pre-chemtrails. like yeah, let's, okay. Let's really, <laughs> Boy, any chance he gets. <laughs> Conspiracy corner. <laughs> hey, and the reason I bring up summer, uh, let me just reiterate here. The actual first day of summer here we go. is surprisingly my birthday, June mm -hmm. 21st. So if anybody would like to send gifts, chocolates, 
Um, There's no. What is, what is, we're not. We don't. I don't have anywhere to send it. Not caramel corn. What is it called? I'm not Cracker not, Jacks. No, it's like the, the fiddle faddle. <laughs> well, it's kind of like fiddle faddle. It's the type of corn. Why can't I think of the the name? Popcorn, dude. Are you kidding me? Please no, don't tell me that. Candy the corn. kind that's huh? I don't know, man. Wait, what'd you just say? Candy corn. That's not even in the realm of. No, I know it's not. But I'm thinking of like the. It's a type of corn that comes in the little tins. You know, you have like the three separate. Oh, yeah, them. you got the cheddar. You got the butter, and then you got the caramel corn. See, it's not right, though. Is it? It's not called caramel corn. Boy, howdy, man. We're, like, speaking of rabbit trails. <laughs> it's, it's called something else, but I can't think of it. Oh, man, I just got so deep. What is it called now? I know. See what I mean? We'll look that up and then. Anne loves it. At, at the end of the show... Mm-hmm. Let us know what you find. Okay, look, now I'm not necessarily, I don't really kind of associate summer with uh, caramel corn or whatever you're talking about. I'm going to look this up. I mean, that's not going to get you bikini ready, friend. No, not at all. But this is the season of road trips, vacations, making that special mixtape for that long drive. And we've talked about that for years and heading to the beach, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me ask you oh, this. Yeah. Are you, there's a lot of people, this is kind of one of those. Uh, polarizing topics here. Are you kind of like a beach guy or do you prefer to like just kind of be on the coast, enjoy the, the beach a little bit and then maybe hop in the pool? Um, like how deep do you get in there? Oh, I got a lot of questions that I'm asking you here, but go ahead. Well, I have an answer that's even going to be better than what the real answer is and it's called uh, kettle corn. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. Anyway, um, so it's weird. It's like I, I really love the beach. Like my family, we grew up going to uh, the Keys. So rich. Every, I mean, just butlers and, you know, we had a timeshare uh, in Marathon, Florida, which is like in the Keys. And so like I kind of grew up in the ocean, you know, dragging for like lobsters. And like, so I love all that stuff. But I don't know. I feel like the older that I get, I think I think the reason I'd, I don't like it as much is mm-hmm. because I know that as a dad... Because it's coarse and it gets in everything. <laughs> well, that too. But no, the fact that like I know that going to the beach involves me basically making a, a, my own personal pilgrimage mm-hmm. out to the beach with like the giant umbrellas. Oh, yeah. The, the six giant like wooden chairs. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just... it's. Uh, it's I mean, I'm kind of... The, I know that sucks. But I kind of am a little bit the opposite. I actually like that part. I want to set it up. I want to get it nice, get some tunes mm-hmm. going. You know, I spent like three or four hours when I shouldn't have trying to come up with the perfect I'm on the beach playlist. <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Me personally, though, like the things that have changed since I was a youngster, well, I guess that's not necessarily true. I don't think I've Game ever trails. been super comfortable with just uh, getting out real deep in the ocean. Now I've been I've been scuba diving before. That's different snorkeling. It, mm-hmm. All that's kind of different. I'm just talking about like right off the coast, especially now mm-hmm. as like a dad. I always kind of like put myself deeper than wherever my kids are because I'm thinking, okay, if there's some kind of crazy creature going that's through me come, first, like, yes, I'm gonna yep. fight that shark. And in my yeah, mind, same. and I would say realistically thinking, I'm like, dude, I will rip that freaking shark's jaws mm-hmm. right out of its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I think it's because I grew up like around like 
sharks and barracuda and stuff. Just um, live with them. Had them for pets. Put them in the bag. Yeah, I li- I li- hey, I did. I did try to raise clownfish, but that's another. Oh god, that's, that's another episode. Uh, it almost got electrocuted. Mm-hmm. But everybody around me, usually at the beach, is like, "Oh, I'm not going to go out far." Like to me, it doesn't bother me. I'm. I'll go out however far. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't. It's like it's the same water. It's just a little further out. Right. Just however, you know, a little bit. If my kids go beyond like twenty feet, I'm like, hey, come mm-hmm. on back, come mm-hmm. on back, come on back down this way. So they are not being raised uh, like I was, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. You know, speaking of the beach, honestly, mm-hmm. it's kind of what prompted me to kind of look back into the archives of my topics list that I've wanted to cover. You know, since we started the podcast, and today's topic kind of seemed to fit it perfectly, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, but. but before we really dive into this crazy event that took place in the serene coastal town of Gulf Breeze, Florida, mm-hmm. dude, I think it's about time we announce what our campers will be enjoying all summer long at Camp Rad Strangeness. Oh, I'm psyched, dude. All right. So for those of you that are kind of newer listeners and maybe weren't with us back last summer and haven't had a chance to kind of dig in and, and binge our uh, previous episodes every year... We kind of dedicate the summer to uncovering and exploring the darkest and sometimes most frightening corners of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, sure. We kind of talk about that stuff anyway, but we're going to go like, we go deeper down the rabbit trail with this. We, we're talking like small town stories, really kind of strange events, everything from mysterious creatures to unsolved phenomenon. Mm-hmm. We're basically looking for the most obscure stories that will intrigue us all, all summer long. Mm-hmm. And we call it Camp Rad Strangeness. Well, this year, we're calling it Camp Rad Strangeness International. Yes. Yeah, baby. So we're going global with this thing. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about stuff that us as Americans, but certainly depending on what part of the world you're listening to this show in, mm-hmm. you might not have ever heard. We're digging deep, folks. Ever heard of it. Ever heard of it. And since our summer schedules, and I'm sure your summer schedule listener, is, can be pretty gnarly, Camp Red Strangeness kicks off this year on June 19th. Mm. So, And that's two days before Tyler, your favorite host's birthday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so besides your birthday presents for Tyler, get your mm-hmm. bags packed, your permission slip signed. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and grab you an army truck full of bug spray because camp... Is on its way. Get all your shots. Yeah, you're going to want to be, you know, your immunizations up yeah, to date for sure. Because, I mean, we're going, we're going over there. If you have malaria pills, go ahead and, yep. you know, snag a couple of those. Yep. And let's get going. Let's head to the waterfront. Man, I'm really psyched. I, I feel like last year we may have had a few that were international. I can't remember. But I, I do remember there were several that were, like, actually pretty close to us here in the South, in the U.S. So it's going to be exciting because, as you know, if you're a fan of this topic of, of uh, cryptids and, and all things sort of weird like we are, you definitely know that the, the entire world is rife with just amazing and weird and creepy things. And, uh, yeah, we're ready to jump in, man. Yeah, man. The weirder, the crazier, the more obscure... Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I can't wait. So, yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's something out there waiting for us. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. This week, we're talking about the crazy event that you heard a little bit about at the top of the show, which has come to be known as the Gulf Breeze UFO incident. Mm. For the benefit of our international listeners, or maybe some of our West Coasters, Let's talk a little bit about Gulf Breeze, man. You know I like to do that. Mm -hmm. So Gulf Breeze, Florida, is located at the end of the Fairpoint Peninsula and is the quote-unquote... Now, this is straight from their uh, uh, sort of tourist official website here. Mm -hmm. And it is the front porch to Pensacola Beach. Mm. Their peninsula city is separated to the north by a... Hey, real quick, Woody. I got to congratulate you because you are nailing Peninsula today. Peninsula. Don't you don't bit, mess me up, though, dude. <laughs> okay, sorry. So the Peninsula City, getting so nervous, said it so fast. Their Peninsula City is separated to the north by a three-mile bridge across Pensacola Bay. If you ever get a chance, I mean, a three-mile bridge, the kids love it. So, you know, mm-hmm. get out there. Now, Gulf Breeze, check this out, man. This is super interesting. Has 18 miles of waterfront mm. and three protected bayous where residents can enjoy all sorts of waterfront activities. There's this place called the Naval Live Oaks Reservation, which was the home of America's first experimental tree farm established by President John Quincy Adams in 1828. They're the ones that provided like the raw material to support shipbuilding for the Navy in the area. In Gulf Breeze, you kind of find the best of both worlds. Really kind of unspoiled natural beauty and like a really kind of laid back lifestyle. Honestly, it, this is kind of my beach vibe. You know, like even though that's not where I'm going this summer, like mm-hmm. when you go to the beach, this is kind of what I prefer. But it's rarely found on the Florida coast because it's just a popular area. Well, the laid back beach life was what brought people there. And certainly that's what Ed Walters expected to find himself. The year was 1987, a time when the world was captivated by the unknown, with UFO sightings and extraterrestrial encounters making headlines across the globe. To begin with, uh, we have this concept of the people from other planets as little green men. Are they green from what you know? Uh, Are they all the same or we got different kinds of them? George, there's at least 70 different species and probably more. But yes, uh, as odd as it sounds, there are little green men. That's not the ones we usually see, though. We see the little gray ones. They're about uh, four and a half feet tall. Against this backdrop of curiosity and wonder, the Gulf Breeze UFO incident unfolded. 
captivating both skeptics and believers alike. It all began when a local building contractor by the name of Ed Walters reported a series of incredible encounters. At approximately 5 p.m. on November 11th, 1987, Ed was home working at his desk. He saw something out of the corner of his eye and looked up. Through the window just beyond some trees, he saw an unusual glow in the sky. He had never seen anything like it, so he put his work down and went outside to investigate. What he saw from the lawn so startled him that he rushed back into the house and grabbed a Polaroid camera he used from time to time in his work as a building contractor. From the porch, he was able to take four pictures, all that was left of the film in the camera. Ed rushed back into the house for an additional roll of film. Returning to the porch, he reloaded the camera and took a fifth picture. By this time, the object was now approaching the house. Ed moved to the street for a better shot. But before he could take a sixth picture, he was frozen in his tracks. He was caught in a blue beam projecting from the UFO. Ed remained immobilized for approximately 10 seconds. During this time, and just for context, we're going to be quiet now for 10 seconds, and I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, during this time... God, you had me confused for a second. I was like, what, what's going you're on? Like, oh, God. During this time, he could not move his eyes or even his eyebrows. He could not expand his chest mm. and he could barely breathe. In addition to that, he detected a nasty smell. He grew shorter and shorter of a breath and began a series of shallow pants. He was convinced he was about to die. Ed felt an intense pressure surrounding his entire body. He said, the force holding you is so strong, you don't know it's holding you. He struggled, but to no avail. Maybe he means like, you don't see like a, a light, you know, you, it's not like you're seeing like a tractor beam like mm -hmm. hit you. You're just all of a sudden like sort of frozen up. It's probably one of those things too, man, like mentally... You know, like, um, when something crazy happens in your body, it's just like, wait, what's going on here? Like, yeah, I don't know if you've had vertigo or something like that, or oh, if you're, yeah. like, if you're kind of weirded out by heights like I am, and you just kind of mm -hmm. look down, your your mind's trying to make heads or tails of whatever the heck you're looking at. That's kind of what it seems like. He, In other words, he's engulfed in this, like, blue beam of light, mm -hmm. and he's just trying to move, but he's just like, what the heck? I can't move. I mean, just imagine how that would make you feel. That's... In, that's terrifying yeah well just then there he is terrified he hears this voice that says stop this stop this you will not be harmed be, harmed. be still still we will not hurt you the voice came from within ed's head it was clear and authoritative and nothing like he had ever experienced before next now get this this is wild dude next he was shown a book containing pictures of dogs. Beneath each picture was an identifying caption. 
The pictures, he said, made no sense to him. At this point, what? Um, I mean, I don't mean to keep interrupting, but he's just talking about, like, in his mind? No, he was just showing a book, man. I don't know. Okay. At this point, Ed screamed. The sound was muffled. It was like trying to talk while underwater. After a brief time, the beam stopped. When he was released from the beam, Ed thinks he was about three feet above the ground. When he fell into the ground, he lurched forward. His knees buckled. He found himself on the black top of the street in front of his house. I just imagine a book, like, floating over his... I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know what that... That still got me, but maybe it'll make sense. I don't... I think so. All right. (laughs) As he righted himself, his wife drove up. She had been shopping. She helped Ed pick up the photos lying on the drive where he had dropped them. Now, for the younger listeners, I'm going to break in real quick. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what a Polaroid camera is, it's the kind that you... It's almost like an instant camera. You know, back in the day before there were iPhones, when you took a picture, you actually mm-hmm. had to wait until all the pictures were kind of used up in the film yep. that you had. Then you take that film and hope that there were no light leaks in your camera or that Mm -hmm. you didn't accidentally expose it whenever you're putting it in a little case. You take it to a store, maybe a Walgreens, a CVS, a a Kodak or whatever. They develop the film for you, meaning whoever's developing the film gets to see your pictures, so better not send any nudes. And, uh, And then you get the pictures at some point later, you know, mm-hmm. by the time we were kind of like late teens, early 20s, it would be like one hour photo was like the big oh, yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I took a lot of, oh, yeah, man. tons of film to uh, like, wh- where did you have yours developed? Like, Yeah, I mean, there was like a place in the Mall of Georgia and stuff that I would get them done. I mean, tons. Like I bought like disposable cameras all the time. And yeah, just like, you know, you'd take them with you to the beach or like to a party, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Same. Well, and then, then the... Uh, I need to see if I can find some of those. I was in like a big, like photography. Uh, I have like a '60s era Lomo LCA, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a basically like a Soviet spy camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it's awesome. They're yeah, still really so cool. great because like really cool. those kind of old cameras will you end up with the artifacts that you kind of want. And yeah, in right. fact, like when Instagram, for example, first started, mm-hmm. that's kind of how they. Uh, created these filters that would make it kind of look like that light yep. leaks, um, you know. Well, and, but, but even the filter, even on your phone, I think it's still, or no, maybe it is Instagram. It's called, it's like Lomo 2 or something. Mm-hmm. That's what that's that's yeah. based off of. So. so a Polaroid though was different in that you put the film in, you mm-hmm. take a picture and it would spit out this little, um, well, a picture that you would then kind of... <laughs> Shake it like a Polaroid picture, mm-hmm. and you would shake it to kind of help speed up the uh, the film being developed. And then, you although have, is that is that actually is that actually, shaking it really does anything? I think it I just don't think it you, does makes you feel. It's kind of like when you're in traffic and you switch lanes because you think that other one's faster, <laughs> and then yeah, it's just right. as slow. And then you switch yeah. back. It's just making you think. Oh, I'm doing something. I'm mm-hmm. doing. You know. Yeah. All right. Let's hop back into the story here. So. He had, I guess, scattered these photos all over the ground because he was just terrified. And his wife helped him pick them all up. Well, she noticed that he smelled strongly of something like what she described as cinnamon and ammonia. Hmm. Weird. Ed told her what had happened. She didn't know what to make of his story. Nothing 
even remotely like this had ever happened to them before. Nor had she seen anything unusual on the way back from the store. One of the things that made Ed's first series of pictures so impressive was that in the shot, the UFO was approximately 20% obscured by the branches and leaves of a blocking tree. Later tests by Bruce McAbee, PhD, a specialist in optics, showed no evidence of bleeding through and no indication that the picture was a double exposure. Again, and, I don't want to get too deep into the photography terms here, but just right. so that everybody understands, double exposure essentially is I take a picture of the sky, mm-hmm. I take a picture of, you know, XYZ object, mm-hmm. then in the development, I, uh, well, I don't know, if, I, don't, I don't know the method. Do you know the method? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, one of the things, I, I'm not like a, you know, real photographer either, so I don't, I don't totally know how they do it, but I do know that like, for example, with my old Lomo, I know that you could, like if you went over your limit in film, it wouldn't just like stop. It would just start taking pictures over top of, of the previous ones you had taken. So like you're, you're double exposing like your new picture and it's sort of showing as an overlay on top of a, mm-hmm. a, a previous picture. Yeah. It's a cool you effect. Know what I mean? And you can do it yeah, real cool. now really easy. That's why I like <laughs> yeah. stories like this are really intriguing to me because that technology didn't exist and mm-hmm. it was easy for experts to kind of come in and say, well, this was a hoax. This, was, this is how they did it, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, this guy, Bruce McAbee, uh, was a specialist in optics, okay? And he showed that there was no evidence of any of those things that would indicate a double exposure or any kind of bleed through and further analysis that he did indicated that the photo was genuine in all other respects if mm-hmm. that and the other pictures were not genuine ed had gone to unimaginable lengths to create them between november 11th 1987 and may 1988 ed took a total of 39 pictures of yeah. ufos Mm-hmm. So this is the beginning of this incident, but I kind of want to dive into, well, let's talk about the photos for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. The object in Ed's photos resembles a Christmas tree. Well, it kind of looks a little bit like a Christmas tree ornament or like one of those old sort of metal, you remember those things where it had like a, it was like made out of like a thin sheet metal and then you there's like a little like, Hand, uh, what would you call it, like a plunger on top and you press it down and the whole thing, as it like sort of shrinks and kind of gets smashed, it sort of spins faster and gets, you know what I'm talking about? That old school toy? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's kind yeah, of they, It would this, be made out of tin. Yeah. And it would be like crappy colors. Usually they were from like China. They were Chinese yeah. made usually. Yeah, it's kind of like a, almost like a top meets like a gyroscope. Yeah, something older. weird like that. Yeah, that's kind of what this reminds me of. But also, you know, it kind of looks like um, maybe like a king's crown without the fancy spikes at the top, you know. The bottom uh, is brightly lit, and the peak of the rounded top of the object is a single, much smaller, bright light. Below this, closer to the bottom than the top, is a band of what appears to be portholes. Mm-hmm. The proportions are what one would expect. All of the above features are clearly visible with the clarity and ordinarily associated with the Polaroid system. 
Ed has to, and also, man, here's another thing about the whole double exposure thing. Polaroids, unless this guy knew some sort of hack that I just absolutely don't, you had right. one, you had one button. It took the picture. Mm-hmm. That's it. That was it. It spits it out. Yeah. You got, you pretty much got what you got. Yeah, and so I don't really know how you'd be able to double expose a Polaroid photo, in other words. Yeah, I I think, well, I mean, I think it's impossible because yeah. you're, it's it's not staying in the camera to be, you Yeah, know. and you can't really, well, I don't really know. I don't think you can kind of reload it to to take it again. I mean, you'd have to really know your stuff. Well, also, even even just opening it up to put your picture back or your, your, well, yeah, your your actual picture back in. I think you would overexpose the whole roll. And not only that, the way that the Polaroid film would work too. Once it's exposed, like those chemicals that that exist on that unexposed film, mm-hmm. you know, that's what kind of made Polaroid special. Is like there was some sort of chemical reaction that it was done. In other words, if you feed it back through there, I don't think it triggers another one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so Ed estimates that the UFO was about 200 feet away when he first saw it. Mm-hmm. He thinks it was about 18 to 20 feet in diameter and about 10 to 12 feet high. He said that he couldn't tell what it was made of, but whatever it was looked solid. And, and this always fascinates me, man, it didn't make any noise. Yeah. Nor did it emit any kind of exhaust stream, the sort of thing that, you know, we'd expect to kind of be coming out of it if it was powered by like a turbine or jet engine, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like sort of uh, like propulsion, like mm-hmm. jet propulsion, like you think right. of. Kind of like the, the planes that shoot out chemtrails. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the God. The bottom of the craft being brightly lit suggests that maybe that's what its power source was and that it was located at the vehicle's base. Ed saw the UFO or UFOs on an average of once a week, sometimes even more often, between November 11th, 1987, and May 1988, and he experienced at least 20 encounters. During many of the encounters, of course, he was able to take more photos. He said that there were times when he couldn't be certain about the UFO's presence. He would he would feel or sense its presence, but not see anything. Hmm. At other times... He said there was absolutely no question in his mind about the reality of what was happening. When an encounter was imminent, here we go, man, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Ed would often hear a buzzing in his head. There it is. Yep. During a six-month period, Ed took 39 pictures of the objects using several different cameras. Okay, here we go. One of them was a sealed camera. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I love this stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. One of the cameras that he used was a sealed camera that was provided to him by MUFON. Yeah, there and we go. New listeners, unfamiliar with what MUFON stands for, it stands for Mutual Unidentified Flying Objects Network. This is a network of people that are experts in different fields. They um, kind of investigate this stuff a lot. Not just to, you know, I, I think if you're not, um, I don't know, super keen on the whole UFO thing in general, you would probably assume, okay, MUFON, they're just a bunch of UFO, like a UFO hunter nuts, you know, that kind of thing. You know, in contrast, I think, based on kind of what I've read and, and as we've kind of dove into cases and stuff, they're really out there to investigate 
whether or not these things are fraudulent. You know what I'm saying? Like they're they're not going to these places with, you know, full believer goggles on. They're basically almost in a way trying to not disprove it, but just, you know what I'm saying? They're looking for evidence on both sides of that fence. Well, well, I, I can actually give some greater sort of depth to that. I th- and I think I may have said it in like a, maybe like an early, early episode, but my wife and I actually saw a UFO and... We'll return after these messages. Pretty good place. If you're a Martian, or a vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. You know, I'd never done this before, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to report this to MUFON. And I got on and there's this huge, I mean, it, it is, you know, if you're going to do it, just know in advance that like, it's a decent amount of work. Like you have to f- fill out this questionnaire that, I mean, it probably took me an hour just going through all, I mean, it asked like every possible question you could do. Well, then after I do that, the next morning I got up and I had an email asking if I would you know, be okay with a field agent coming out. And they literally sent this woman out. Now I had forgotten. <laughs> kind of like that librarian I, look. Puts her hair uh, up with like, a pencil. Hot. More like suit pants, really short hair. Like mm, older okay. lady. And I mean, this lady was all business. Like talking to this lady, you would think that she would have never even entertained the idea of UFOs even being real, wow. much less. Yeah, I mean, like, as... Intimidating a little bit, or...? I mean, a little bit. I mean, and I'd forgotten. Yeah, 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 she was great. Uh, But I'd forgotten, so I had, like, pajamas on, which, you know, doesn't give you the the amount, same amount of confidence as you would have with regular clothes on. Yeah, you're probably not you, but, you you know, me. (laughs) Well, no, but she's asking me. I'm, like, walking around the yard with her, and my neighbors are looking at me because I just have, like... (laughs) Pajama pants on. <laughs> oh man, they're like, yeah, who's that loser? Yeah, exactly. But um, but no, I mean, they she came out and she probably took. I mean, she was probably there like an hour and a half, and I'm Just talking like asking like, you a bunch of questions. Or? Every possible question, like she she even had this like little, and I don't know if this is like a you know a standard like field agent thing, but she had like this like little. How would I even explain it? It's like. Imagine like these like like different layers of cardboard that's like all hinged in the middle with like a one of those like little gold pins. So basically she's like, okay, was it this big? And she slides it and it shows like that it would be a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, slides it a little bit bigger. So basically she wanted to know exactly where I was standing and how big it was in my field of vision to be able to tell like mm-hmm. the distance. I mean, wow. it was amazing. I was wow. really, really impressed. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some folks that are tied into it, just like with everything else who are, you know, kind of shake things up. Well, I mean, they got to be kind of like interested in it, you know, to, to pursue a career with that, but. Right, right. But I, but I, from what I've seen, like on a personal level, like Mm -hmm. it was, 
all business, like super, yeah. super credible. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's MUFON. Mm-hmm. All right. So listen to this dude. Perhaps like what's regarded as, I don't know if they're the most famous photos in this sort of set, but uh, maybe the most valuable, January 12th, 1988, 5.25 p.m., Mm-hmm. Ed left his home in a pickup truck to check on an electrical meter installation in a building being prepared for county inspection. Mm-hmm. The building was located about seven miles east of Gulf Breeze on Highway 191. About half a mile down, an object flying in the same direction as Ed was driving passed directly over his vehicle. Mm-hmm. As it came into view, it directed what appeared to be a powerful white flash of light right through the windshield. Hmm. The light affected Ed's forearms and hands, making them difficult to use. They stung and became numb. They felt like they were being pricked by a dozen pins. Ed immediately pulled off the road and stopped. The object was then hovering directly in front of him, less than 200 feet away. It was no more than two or three feet to the left of the double yellow center, center line and no more than four or five feet above the ground. Tense with fear, Ed tried to reach his shotgun behind the seat at a boy. In the mm. process, he knocked his Polaroid camera to the floor. He could clearly see the glow of the object's underside reflected by the pavement. Which, by the way, before you continue, to give like a visual, at least to me, the bottom, like if you imagine this, sort of a saucer kind of thing. To mm-hmm. me, the bottom looks like the old school, like underwater, like pool lights. Oh yeah, it does. Like the really right. old ones that you could have, like yeah, it would have like rivets around. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me like. of the Close Encounters. This whole a little bit, scene yeah. is just like mm-hmm. very Close Encounters vibe. Yeah, which by the way, I mean, that's synchronicity. Should I tell what I learned over the weekend? Little known fact that I learned over the weekend, and I never knew this, but uh, J. Allen Hynek, the guy who was sort of known for Project Blue Book, which was sent out by the U.S. military to pretty much debunk UFO claims or or extraterrestrials, Mm -hmm. he actually had a classification of UFOs and, you know, the first kind, third kind. And so Close Encounters of the Third Kind was actually inspired by that and actually he worked as a sort of as a what would you call it like a contributor or like a like a liaison no no like a that's uh, what i was gonna say what is it you know like a not a contractor i know what you're talking about yeah i think it starts with a c too because i keep going to that but he worked no contributor no that's not right still anyway so j allen hynek actually was even given a cameo and he's actually in close encounters of the third kind mm-hmm. uh which i didn't know until this past weekend yeah. so man cool. that's amazing yeah real cool so there ed was with his mm-hmm. gun in his lap he retrieved the camera and took a picture of the object through the windshield as soon as he took the picture the craft's glow intensified and the ship started to move toward him The craft's beam was still present, causing Ed to feel increasingly threatened. So to protect himself, he grabbed his gun together with the camera and got out of the truck. Now, I'm just going to make a quick commentary here. You know, everybody's always dogging the younger generation for trying to, like, take a picture of everything. This guy is facing a crazy, scary UFO. He's got his gun, but he's like, well, I better take my camera, too. Back into it here. He began crawling underneath the vehicle 
for protection. But before he could get completely under the truck, the beam caught his legs just below the knees. The feeling was the same as he had experienced a minute or so earlier in his arms and hands. Remember, like, the numbness, the tingling, the the Mm -hmm. pins and needles. The object's position was essentially unchanged. Ed tried to get a second photo of the craft from under the truck, but failed. At this point, the object began to rotate and to project a blue beam from which five creatures emerged. The aliens appeared quickly, one after the other. Hmm. You mean like like beaming them down? Like I'm just trying to get a visual here. Yeah, no, I guess they just, there's a beam, these five creatures emerge, all this takes place in less than 10 seconds. Mm, the beings okay. were then between three and four feet tall and wore what appeared to be protective shields. Huh. And listen to this, dude. Each of them carried a glowing rod and they started walking toward Ed. Oh, boy. The first thing they asked him was, where's our f- book of dogs? I'm just kidding. <laughs> dude, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh man, you're here for the dog show? All right. I mean, dude, I I am like in all seriousness, I'm still hung up on this dog book situation. Well, now we got I have no idea what that man. means. This guy, huh? they got lightsabers. All right, forget about the yeah. dogs. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, near panic, Ed scrambled from underneath the truck, threw the camera and the gun on the seat, and managed to scramble inside. I mean, real quick, it feels very much like Travis Walton, like Fire in the Sky. Mm-hmm. That's just sort of the visuals but that I'm the, getting. A, yeah, yeah, and mixed yeah. with. Um, the Close Encounters. And I mean, I think it's just the, that's the time period though, you know? Yeah, right, right. Okay. Not realizing the truck was still running, he turned the ignition key. We all know what happens when that happens, right? You make that weird like... The starter motor made a grinding sound. Oh boy. Absolutely frantic. It's like when you crank it twice? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's already running. You try to do it again, it makes that weird grinding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's super frantic. He slams the shift, the, the stick shift into reverse... Mm-hmm. pushed the gas pedal to the floor and backed up enough to turn around and get into drive and exited just pedal to the metal man. Mm-hmm. Once he was a safe distance away, Ed looked at the picture he had taken. Uh, it turned out to be as good as the rest of the experience was bad. This was the first photo that had sufficient reference points to compute the size of the object and the distance from the camera. The width of Highway 191 at this point was 20 feet. In his analysis using the original Polaroid photograph, Dr. Bruce McAbee determined that the object was 12 foot in diameter and 8 feet high, not counting the light on top. But utilizing the tire indentations on the left-hand side of the highway, where Mr. Ed pulled his pickup truck off on the soft shoulder, and aligning a tree above the object with this point, the distance to the object was approximately 185 feet. The beings that Ed saw during this sighting were actually the same as one that he had seen earlier on December 2nd, 1987. Now, on that date, around 3 a.m., Ed was awakened by a humming sound. At first, he thought it was his swimming pool pump. A few moments later, he thought he heard a baby crying. There are no infants in Ed's family. That's common, man. Fully awake now, he heard a conversation between a man and a woman in Spanish but he couldn't make any sense of it. Armed with a pistol and with camera in hand, Ed quietly slipped out of bed to investigate. He went into the backyard and saw a craft 
hovering just beyond his back fence. He photographed it, and after a few minutes, the object went away. Ed returned to bed. I love that it's so common for this dude that he's able to just go, you know, you know, snag a couple extra Zs after seeing a freaking UFO floating around his mm-hmm. backyard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then at 3.30, Ed heard his dog bark once. This was unusual because his dog usually continues to bark until Ed or another family member is alerted. Again, Ed quietly slipped out of bed and crawled to the French doors, crawled, wow, okay, Hmm. crawled to the French doors where he raised the blind. He stopped to take a look. Directly opposite the doors was a creature. It was approximately four feet tall and was peering directly at Ed. Its proportions were similar to those of a human. Astonished, Ed let out a yell and fell backwards. He had been prepared for another sighting, but not a face-to-face meeting with an unknown creature. As Ed got to his feet, he saw the creature turn and run outside of the screened porch. Now, this freaking creature was inside his screened porch, dude. I mean, oh my God, that would be just terrifying. Again, he says that it was about four feet tall with a shield over its head, chest, and lower body. And what does he mean by shield? I'm thinking he just means like some sort of like shield covering, like maybe, I don't know, imagine a spacesuit or something. I'm not sure. He says, though, that it's got distinctive large almond-shaped eyes uh, that were observed through a clear portion of the head mask, he says. It was holding an illuminated rod in its right hand, even though it was dark, he said. The outline of the creature was visible because of the distant background lights and illumination from the rod. Now, Ed, although that startled him, doesn't really seem like the guy to kind of like just let his fear kind of rule the situation because he then unbolted the French doors and went outside following the creature. The creature was clearly visible running toward a field behind the house. Before Ed could move off of his porch, though, he was hit by another blue beam of light coming from a craft overhead. The blue beam essentially, he said, nailed one of his legs from knee to foot to the wooden floor. In other words, completely froze him. Yeah, right. Moments later, the beam stopped and Ed rushed back into the house and got his camera. There he is. He was actually able to take a picture of this craft and it was similar to the first photos taken back on on November 11th. Ed believes that the creature returned to the craft by way of that blue beam. So just like, you know, you kind of said, maybe that's how they go in and out. I'm sending you this, and this is what he's talking about by shields, which suddenly makes sense to me. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got to keep that, yeah. Again, the expert who's done the most to validate Ed's long and detailed experience is Bruce Mm -hmm. McAbee. McAbee has a doctorate in physics and specializes in optics, like we said earlier. Among those clients he has done work for is the U.S. Navy, He's based in, here he was based in Washington, D.C., and is among the nation's most respected UFO consultants. That's yeah, like straight for. up optical physicist. Like, like was consultant he knows the word you were looking for? Consultant. That's Boom. exactly the word. Yeah. I knew it so was so, a C. I think the lesson here is if you just wait, right? Okay. Before, before you just interrupt, like, 
Well, you couldn't gonna, think of it either. He's probably going to get there. Okay. An hour later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So he, one of the things he specializes in is analyzing photos of UFOs, the first of which he started mm. examining back in 1950, bro. Man, that's awesome. He's written extensively about the Gulf Breeze sightings. And even back in June of 1988, presented a 90-page paper on Ed's photos to MUFON. Yeah, I, I've got I've to interject and say that this is... It is many things that, you know, could be like, quote unquote, like wrong with this case. Mm -hmm. I think Maccabee is like by far the most sort of, he gives the most like credibility to this thing. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And he's like super respected in the field. Of, yeah, right. And I mean, I you know, maybe, maybe Tyler, you know more about Maccabee's sort of, maybe you can think of some cases where he's actually proven that, oh no, this is you know, this is something fake, this is a hoax or whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I can't think of any right offhand, but I think he was... Oh, that's um, disappointing, so... <laughs> I mean, I can look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of you kind of sprung this on me, but... <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that he was a consultant. I thought he was, like, in the military, like a military... Well, I'm sure maybe he... Well, I don't know, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, and now listen to this, too. Ed Walters wasn't the only person that saw these things. So... As we kind of dig, as this story came out, okay, the way that it did come out is Ed Walters initially was kind of like an anonymous source and he walked into the Gulf Breeze paper, put, and this is how he did it, man, this is pretty gangster. He walks into the office, throws these photos down and starts telling him the story. Yeah. The reporter has said like, I've never, I was kind of awestruck and just like a lot of us out there, you know, the initial reaction is like, okay, well, this kind of sounds fake yeah. and, you know, la da 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 But again, it's important to note that Ed wasn't the only person that saw these things flying around in that area. There have been sightings in and around the area. Gulf Breeze is pretty close to Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is a little bit further mm -hmm. west uh, from Gulf Breeze and then out in just other areas of Florida around the same time. There were about 55 other reported sightings between November of 1987 and May 1988, including Ed's. So looking up Maccabee, he was he was like a, a pretty big member of MUFON. Mm. So I wonder, if, I wonder if they sort of appointed him to go out and sort of yeah. check it out, you know? I'm sure. That man. would make sense. Because this is one of those cases where there are multiple witnesses, yeah. We also have photographic evidence and not just like a few. Remember, it was like something like 39 photos or some crazy thing. Tons of it, right? Mm -hmm. I would dare say, I mean, you can kind of correct me on this again. I'm putting you on the spot. I wonder if this might be the most, like the biggest collection of photos from a single sort of source maybe ever. I think so. Well, there's another, and I can't, th I think his name may be Bruce too, but I think... Adamski was like from back in the 60s or 70s. God, you are putting me on the spot here. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, I'm this, just saying like just from like one event, that's just usually there's just like one blurry photo or one, yeah, that's, I mean, you know what I mean? One like yeah, this is film a, clip. Listen to this quote by McAvey, uh, dude. This is, a, this is a powerful quote here. He says, After hundreds of hours of painstaking research, I have found nothing in the photos taken by Ed which would refute the sighting reports. My opinion is that the photos are genuine and that these crafts 
are not from Earth. Mm. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah. So, so wait a minute. So, so are there are like corroborating like witnesses that we're seeing mm-hmm. at the same time? Yep. Fifty-five other reported sightings, dude, including Ed's. I mean, not including Ed's. So, an additional fifty-five wow. reporting. Yeah, that's reported. That's a big deal. I mean, one of them even is. I've got this article. One of them is a, a Gulf Breeze councilwoman. Her name was Brenda Pollack. And she said that on March 17th, she was crossing the Pensacola Bay Bridge when she saw a strange orange light pulsating over Gulf Breeze. She said that the object was moving just above the treetops and it was larger and brighter than any aircraft light she had ever seen. She lost sight of the object as she got off the bridge, but she saw it again as she drove along Shoreline Drive. She said she pulled over and watched the object for three or four seconds before it suddenly disappeared. Upon returning home, she found a note from her husband, Buddy, saying that he had gone to Shoreline Park. Well, when she got to the park, she said she found her husband and several others examining photographs under the headlights of a truck. She was told that, quote, Jim, the Gulf Breeze businessman who says he was, okay, this is back when he was uh, anonymous, okay? And so... Ed would yeah, right. sometimes go by yeah. Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, she was told that Jim, the Gulf Breeze businessman who said he, was, he had taken 37 photographs of UFOs, had just snapped two simultaneous photographs. And, and by the way, just to clarify, you mean Ed Walters? Yes. Or, originally time, went Yeah, went by Jim. Yep. Yeah. He had asked to remain anonymous. Again, he wanted to protect his business, you know. Mm-hmm. By not just coming out and saying, I saw a UFO and little people and all this. I mean, there's just like a ton of them, dude. There's a... Um, and and real quick, were these reported to like the local police? Newspaper. Newspaper. I, don't, I mean, I have... I'm sure they were reported to the local police. I have a clip of the article from the oh, Pensacola yeah, right. News Journal, uh, May 21st, 1988. Wow. I mean, the skeptic part of me would ask like, okay, well, did... Did were these people like friends? Mm-hmm. You know, was this like sort of a coordinated effort? But I mean, again, back then, like this is early eighties, late eighties. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like it is today. You know, we had landlines, right. and and so I don't know. That's that's pretty interesting. Th- that this is one thing that I I have never known about this case. I thought it pretty much all rested on the shoulders of Ed Walters. So like to hear that there, there were like multiple witnesses that, that were seeing the same things like on the same days. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and also, so this area, there's this other article I found, same newspaper, Pensacola News Journal, March 5th, 1989. And the, mm-hmm. the title of the article says, UFO fever strikes West Florida. Here, I got to read the intro paragraph because I feel like the lady that, that wrote it, Cindy West, is just one of us. So she starts, she starts, I know, uh, she starts it like this. Residents of galaxies far, far away may have visited West Florida long before unidentified flying objects were spotted over Gulf Breeze in 1987. Sightings go back at least to the 1950s when on March 31st, 1953, a man saw one of the objects in the Pensacola area. He said, I'll swear I saw a flying saucer at 10.40 a.m. Tuesday, said George M. Lee of Pensacola, 
Lee, a postal employee, said he was driving north on E Street, just south of Pottery Plant Road, when he glanced up and saw a round, shiny object to the northwest. He said a few seconds after he spotted the motionless object, it began moving straight upward and then disappeared completely. In 1973, there was a rash of sightings. In October of 1973, a man reported he saw four faint white objects flying silently northeast across the sky, about 13 miles east of Destin. Mm. October 17th, just after dark, Eglin radar personnel reported tracking UFO in the area north of Eglin, and about the same time, more than a half dozen motorists stopped their cars to watch four lighted UFOs hover above Interstate 10 between Crossview and Milton. Now again, this is 1973. 1975, a dozen Holmes County residents and two sheriff's deputies said that they saw a large glowing egg-shaped UFO fly at sharp angles just above the treetops near Bonifay. I mean, it just mm. keeps on going, dude. Yeah, All man. the way until like 1987. And, you know, well, there's one more thing I want to say that's kind of uh, interesting. So we will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. A few years after all this happened, getting kind of closer to the 90s, Ed Walters had since sold his home and moved elsewhere. It was June 10th, 1990. Basically, this guy who had moved into Ed's home found a model that was made up of four plastic foam plates and some drafting paper that was found in the attic of Ed Walters' old home. Mm -hmm. The model closely resembled the UFO craft in some of the photos. Walters denied knowledge of the model and stated that someone who wants to discredit him must have put the model in the house and refused to take a lie detector test at the time, but s signed a sworn statement denying any knowledge of the model uh, UFO. Mm -hmm. The man who found the model signed a sworn statement that he did not know who had made it, and news journal for, uh, photographers experimented with the model and were able to nearly duplicate some of the photos of UFOs printed in Walters' book. Ed Walters had since published uh, these photos in a book. And then again, as this kind of stuff kind of came out, you know, obviously critics kind of latched onto that, but mm -hmm. the folks over at MUFON and stuff said, look, there were way too many other eyewitnesses who had seen something similar that mm -hmm. debunkers would need to go to great lengths to discredit. And, you know, they found this thing, but, you know, I don't know. It still doesn't account for all of the various sightings. It doesn't account for the fact that there are Polaroid photos. I don't know how that you fake a Polaroid photo, man. Yeah. Just to kind of wrap it all up, you know, I'm looking at the photos here, or at least some of them. And I think, listener, I would kind of love to hear what you think about these photos as well. It is real hard. They're so distinct. Yeah. The mm -hmm. object is that it is hard to, I don't know, I think initially anybody's going to look at this and be like, oh, fake, yeah. because it's so clear and so good. I don't know how you get such a clear photo when others 
haven't really necessarily been able to, especially given the circumstances of his story where he's got a dadgum shotgun in his lap and he's like, oh, I better pick up the foot. I better pick up the camera. Click. Oh, it's perfect. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, no matter what, I'm kind of still stuck on the dog book. I don't understand what's going on there. I, you <laughs> so know, that's my biggest question. You know, I think that there have been plenty of people about this case specifically that are very skeptical about it from the get-go. And then on top of mm-hmm. them finding this little like model, I don't know what to think, man, other than it's super interesting and it gets me in the vibe of, you know, whenever I go to the beach this year in Florida, I'm going to be looking for UFOs. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, the, the part of the reason that I was so excited about this particular case is uh, I've said a million times on the show, but like my buddy and I, Jesse Phillips, hey, Jesse, he's like my oldest friend. We've been friends since like the fourth grade and we were always massively into UFOs. And so this hit right around that time, which I always thought that it was in the 90s. That's that's weird. But yeah, that was like because of this particular thing, every single time I would go to the beach, I mean, I would spend like hours at night just looking out over the ocean. And I mean, you do see some interesting things, but I don't recall ever like, you know, full on seeing like, you know, definitive, like what I could call a UFO at the beach, which still kind of bums me out because you just, you heard all these stories, especially all through, I think Florida may still be the, the record holder for like the most UFOs Mm -hmm. per, per Mm -hmm. state as far as sightings go. But yeah, this case was really interesting. Like I said before, I never knew that there were other sort of corroborating witnesses. So to me, that lends a little more credibility. I think to me, the thing that kind of like sent my red flags of like, well, maybe this is a hoax was, is like the, the one with like the beam. Mm-hmm. You mean the picture? Some, yeah. The picture with like the, it looks like the, the, like the little tractor beams kind of coming out. I don't know. There's something about that that just feels like a, like a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but after saying that, then you have this optical physicist, Bruce Maccabee, mm-hmm. who, is, you know, well known for all this stuff. I mean, he he's, you know, a, a pretty big guy in that field. Yeah. And, you know, he's saying, okay, I'm looking at this picture. I'm looking at like the markers I'm looking at, which are, you know, providing like scale. And this craft is 12 foot long and yada, yada, yada. And so I don't really know how you fake that with a professional at the top of his field, optical physicist. That's yeah. sort of that's sort of where I'm like he's kind of putting man, a lot on the line, man. You know, he sure is. Yeah. To I mean, he's immediately kind of potentially discrediting him himself. I mean, that's the 100%. difficulty about all this stuff is, and I mean, we see this in like court cases all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can get like an expert on the stand, and each sort of side, the defendant and the plaintiff, will have their own experts, and they can look at the same data or the same event, they can see like two different outcomes basically is, is right. kind of what I'm trying to say here. And and yeah. so it's, it makes it super, super hard. And, you know, it's not impossible for someone to, to kind of fake photographs like this. It, it happens all the time back then. And, but man alive, it's super interesting. And if this thing was real, I don't know. Hmm. Well, and also, I mean, the idea that like they found like the replica in the attic, I feel like there's a couple things yeah, that that's are kind of tough. 
a li- well, I, although maybe the, the dude just likes to make, you know, like the the problem is, well, no, like, because dude, I don't even he, know who, who, you know, I don't know who. Yeah, what he is. flat out like denied. Yeah, that being in there. So here's my sort of consensus on this. I think that uh, in order for that to have like truthfully happened, like they found this replica in his attic. I feel like. Number one, if you're moving out of your house, you're just going to leave that there? Mm-hmm. Like, like that just doesn't make logical sense. Number two, if, if you're, I mean, this story is like you're, you're, not only are you sort of convincing the public that you've had these sort of encounters with these UFOs and these aliens, extraterrestrials, you're also having to convince like that was the thing too. Like he was all like his wife sort of publicly came out and was like, you know, I've seen all these changes in my husband, blah, 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 blah. And so you're telling me that she wouldn't have known about a replica up in your attic. Here's what like, it sounds like to me. I bet she like got this thing in on made, it. put it in the attic because it was going to be a surprise <laughs> gift. He starts acting crazy. And she's like, well, I better not. And then kind of, you know, dude, you know how many presents I found like hidden up in our like in a in like my old office closet and stuff? I'm like, oof, yeah. man, I forgot to. Well, they don't like Paw Patrol anymore, so I guess I'll. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. maybe that's what happened in like an old hollowed out tree trunk in the woods, mm-hmm. sort of. And you know, since mm-hmm. then, obviously nowadays, there's all kinds of better technology and stuff, and 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 techniques that are a little bit more advanced than they were when when all this you know, initially was investigated and stuff. And some folks have claimed that they found evidence of manipulation and others say that, you know, the original negatives remain unaltered and it's still an ongoing mystery. Was it a hoax? Was it not a hoax? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting because, okay, so hypothetically say that you fully believe that it's a hoax, which would then in turn mean that you fully believe that that recreation that was found in his attic was basically what he used Mm -hmm. to hoax these photos, right? Right. I just find it difficult to wrap my head around that because that would mean like some of the photos that you see, like one was on the side of a road Mm -hmm. just up in the air. So it's like, okay, well, how are they getting? And and the other thing is is it's not like – it's not like you're thinking, oh, well, there's just this like recreation of this thing that's like in the shape of a plane. So I can just throw it up in the air, take the picture at the end. This was this would require this thing being massive. Mm-hmm. And so like, how did they get this up there? And then how did you take it with a Polaroid? It's just, there's yeah, so many things about know. it that like, that, that's just hard. I mean, my, I, I think for me, the big thing that like sort of sends me into sort of on to the skeptic side is that every photo, it's like the same craft, Mm. which I will say like, you know, you saying that there were all these like sort of multiple witnesses. I mean, that does kind of take a little bit of that away. Like to me that, that gives a little more credibility to that, you know? So maybe it was like a, almost like a flap, you know, you think of like the Flatwoods monster or something. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe, Maybe this was this one particular craft. I mean, do we know like how many, like how long this flap would have happened with with Walters? Do we know? Yeah, so it was in November eleventh, nineteen eighty seven to May nineteen eighty eight. I mean, that's not too long. It's like six months, man. And I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess what, uh, maybe I don't understand the 
argument for it being a different you a uh, different craft well my i don't know there's there's just something like that just feels weird to me about you're always getting like this exact same mm. craft mm-hmm. instead of like like this person over types. here saw this thing but it looked kind of different this person over here and it's like in every single photo it's the exact same one like mm-hmm. i don't know there's something about that that sort of perks up my like bs yeah. meter a, a little bit but but again i don't know how i don't know how he's like staging this stuff and making it work to get this massive recreation up in the air and and, and then no and then only using i mean you, maybe, but he's no on the fit. side of the road like yeah no but i guess maybe like if he now he's like a carpenter or something right like he has a business of, of well he's like a contractor yeah contractor okay so like a building contractor he's probably pretty good at like you know, geometry and stuff like that. And so he can he can potentially, now just imagine that you've got this model and you've got mm-hmm. like on a fishing pole or something and it's just like dangling. You know how to set up the distance so that it can be like, okay, if that is that long and this is that, then I need to put it right there. I mean, it's not impossible. It's just, boy. Yeah, but dude, just look at this. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how you fake that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That one looks more like it would have to have been like a, a double exposure thing. And then like I've got one in that series that's like right before that. You know, it's, well, it's but just also, bizarre, dude. But the double exposure trick is I think to make it look like it's like illuminated, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a lot harder if it's if it is truly double exposure. Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know. There's something. Again, I still look at the one with the beam and that, that's, that's the one Keep that I remember. That one. Which one are you talking about? Sure. That's the one that always sort of felt like I don't know, man. It just feels. Oh yeah, that one is intense. Look, look. I mean, it looks awesome, but it just looks kind of like a like a flashlight. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if this was a hoax, mm-hmm. then like he kind of used the time period to kind of perfect his methods. Yeah, and kind of we're getting we're kind of looking at the best of the best out of that batch. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, dude. I will say, dude, look at the the one that you sent me in the far left corner, which mm-hmm. I've always kind of felt like that one looked a little fake. But at the same time, like, there's no way of getting around. There's no way of faking the scale of that. So right. even if it is then, a recreation. The, the light on the bottom of the road, bro. That's what I'm saying. That like, That's you, why you can't you can't fake how big this thing is. Because that's the light itself is stretching all the like a spotlight, mm-hmm. like the, the top full right, the, the top right corner. That mm-hmm. kind of looks like, you know, your summer camp flashlight, close up. Right. The right. the one below that is similar to the the other one that you had. The other Which two is, in the middle are like eh, okay, but that you're right, man. That bottom left corner one. There's man, no way of fake. I, I can't wrap my head around how you'd be able to do that. I mean, unless you have like out of frame, you have like a literal crane holding this thing above a road. Or you've made like a model of the road and you set up like a little scene outside so that like it's natural (laughs) light. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like we're having to do all kinds of Olympics here just to get this done. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, most, most of the time I would say, will say things like, well, why would this person do it? Because they didn't even profit of it. In this case, however, he did release this book. Mm-hmm. And so technically speaking, he has profited from it. 
Yeah. So but that's when no, that's I, when it gets a little hard to kind of like you know just draw a line in the in the beach sand, so to speak. Yeah, there it is. You know, I don't. To me, I think that is kind of an unfair sort of sort of attack that like skeptics have used for years. I mean, it's like I get it. I understand. Like, oh, well, they're you know, it, it's it's easy to look at it very sort of idealistically of like, oh, well, see, they're a charlatan. They're making this thing up to make money. That's there's the motivation. But I kind of think like, I mean, honestly, man, say, I mean, I've had my own stuff. I've seen things, you know, I've seen a UFO with my wife. I've, you know, had a shadow person encounter. I've had a missing time thing. And I could see how somebody would listen to me say that and be like, oh, there's no way that somebody Mm -hmm. can just experience all those things. And in fact, before like this show, I'm one of them. Yeah. Thank you. Before (laughs) the show, I have always looked at people that were like, oh, I've, I've seen this kind of thing. I've seen this yeah. kind of thing. I've seen this. I always looked at those people as like, oh, that's, that's BS. Like you're right. just, you're going, you're doing too much now. But mm. once we got on the show, it was like, oh, wait a minute. I've actually, <laughs> I've yeah. actually encountered a lot of these things too. And so I think the, the motivation of saying, oh, well, just, he, he wrote a book so that therein lies the motivation. I think that's unfair. So let's look at it completely sort of, I mean, I guess altruistically, really. Okay. Let's say this guy is a contractor. He doesn't have a bad bone in his body. He, he's mm-hmm. not trying to fool anybody. He just goes to work. He's a blue-collar guy. And he starts encountering these things. He starts seeing this flap of this object that keeps showing up. And it just like me with my, like, orb thing, I he became... Starts crying. He just, just he starts crying. No, I became obsessed with this. I became mm-hmm. so involved with like every spare second of the day. I was thinking about it. I was getting online. I was like perusing every forum I could find to try to like discover somebody else that had, that had sort of had a similar encounter. So mm-hmm. you take that like rabid curiosity and like we don't he doesn't have the internet. He, I'm sure he's going to the libraries. I'm sure he's blah, blah, blah. Right. But like, think about it. Around this time, this is when like sort of the UFO craze, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I think it's only a natural progression for him to be like, you know what? Maybe nobody will ever buy this this book, but I'm going to make a book and show my evidence, what I've captured yeah. on film. Yeah, yeah. True, I think, true. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, 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 no. And I wasn't trying to say that. Look, man. No, 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 I know. Make, I'm not saying it, you are. Even if it, like, well, I was going to say, even if it is a hoax, because it's so relatively well done, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Because, I, I, you know, the, the problem is if or when people do these hoaxes that are so elaborate and everything, it then mm-hmm. begins to discredit all the people that are just trying to tell the real mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. So yeah, hopefully it yeah. wasn't. But no matter what, dude, like, here's the beauty of that would be rad. And part of the reason why we've even started this is I love reading about these stories oh, that yeah. I previously didn't know much about. I mean, this kind of, this story probably was one of the reasons they kind of kicked up the dust and, and reignited the interest in the UFO craze. In, in I mean, there is an Unsolved Mysteries episode about it. I'm sure you know, as we started getting a little bit older and into the 90s, you know, X-Files and all that, there was just like this mm-hmm. moment in history where it was super fun to talk about these things. And mm-hmm. by golly, 
heading to the beach, this is something fun to think about, man. Hey, now look out and be careful at night. Oh, yeah. I always, you know, I, unlike Tyler, have had basically zero of those types of experiences other than the one, the scary uh, experience that I had that's back in our first Halloween special or whatever mm-hmm. that, that I told about. Hear Woody's terrifying real-life experience on That Would Be Rad, Season 1, Episode 10. The Halloween spooktacular. I haven't had any of those moments that I can't just chalk it up to like, oh man, it's my imagination, you know? Mm-hmm. But again, that's not me kind of discrediting anybody that has. It's just, I right. kind of don't go looking for that stuff, really. And I think that is, you know, just my nature. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we talked about last week when we were talking about all the different names of magic. You know, I kind of shy away from that stuff because I don't want to open up a door that mm-hmm. I can't close. Right. And that includes, yeah. you know, four foot tall green men with lightsabers coming after me. Yeah. Not interested, man. You know what I mean? Um, I, I do like that you brought up, and I've been kind of thinking about this lately with like some of the stuff we've been into, but you mentioned something about in one of the, I don't know, in one of his accounts where it was like they knew when he was like either looking or when he was like taking a picture or something, and I do think there could be something with, and it's for my own sort of, uh, in, in, you know, experiences and encounters of like with the orbs, for example, mm-hmm. when there was a, it, there was like a a knowing of when I was looking at this thing. It was like mm. it was like they knew immediately that I was looking, and I've always thought that was really fascinating. And I mean, it can kind of get into, you know, like Stephen Greer, he gets really big into like intention and mm. like, oh, they'll go out into the desert and they'll like meditate. And then like, you know, they'll they'll see these these lights and then they'll like blink out and then they'll all like focus their intention of like, well, we want you to show back up and then it'll show back up. And like, I wonder if there's something to that and you know whether it be with aliens or cryptids or with my orb situation or ufos you know flying in the sky i wonder if there's something between that and then something like the observer effect or like mm-hmm. quantum entanglement or like the the double slit experiment where mm-hmm. where certain like particles uh, are doing something only when they're being observed by people you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, and it gets super heady and super, you know, quantum, mm-hmm. you know, physics and that kind of thing. But I, I, I don't know. Lately, that's been something that's been popping it up. I've been kind of thinking about it in those terms of like, man, there could be something to that. Maybe there is like whatever that thing that's happening with like the double, double slit experiment where, it, you know, these these protons or whatever are only going in this one side whenever everybody stops observing it. But then the second you start observing it, then it goes back to random and it's going into like the different like, you know, sides of like the slits or whatever. And so like, I don't know. I just, I think that's an interesting thing. And I thought, you know, I should at least bring it onto the show just to throw out there. I mean, who's to say that an an advanced technology doesn't exist that Mm -hmm. can, you know, measure and react to consciousness and and like yeah uh, right you know all that kind of stuff so if, if, you know if it 
measures our brain waves, for example, even in, like taking it real super simple in its most sort of like simplistic technology, if they're able to somehow from, you know, the craft that they're in measure those changes in our brain waves, maybe mm -hmm. that triggers them being like, they're looking at us, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, man, it's really interesting that you said that. So I want to do an episode where we break this down because I'm terrible with names and titles and stuff, but there is a sort of piece of, of ufology lore that I've always found fascinating where and I think he's a top guy from like Skunk Works, which is like, you know, they're like the military contractor who they came up with like the, like the stealth or like the SR-71 Blackbird. And like, they're the people who contract or the military contracts to build these like, you know, we're talking like top of the line, like the most advanced stuff, you know, mm -hmm. with stealth and like technology and, you know, then it's sort of weaponized by like the, you know, big military or whatever. But there was a conference where, um, you know, the, this top guy was taking questions and, you know, he made this comment of not only are we able to see E.T., but now we're able to take him home, take him back home which Whoa. is already, that's a really cool sort of line. Mm -hmm. But the the story goes, there's this UFO researcher, and I, again, I want to do an episode where we really get into it, but this UFO researcher uh, sort of chases this guy down as he's leaving this conference. And he, he, you know, he runs up to him and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I heard you said this about like being able to take E.T. home, yada, 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 whatever question he asked about, like, well, you know, what all can we do or whatever, or something to that extent. And he said, he said he like stopped for a second and then he looked at him and he said, what do you think is the main mystery about UFOs or, or something to that extent? And he says, well, it's, it's probably, you know, anti-gravitic, you know, propulsions and like, are they capable of that? He said he like kind of like smiled and then his response was, actually, no. What do you know about ESP? And he said that the researcher guy was like, what? And like, that was like his answer of like, hey, every, you're, you're missing it. It's not about, you know, anti-gravity stuff. It's not about all this stuff. It's about like something, whatever it is, is tied to like extrasensory perception and being able to, I think it has something to do with like bilocation and like that whole thing. So like you have a guy from like the top, 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 of the bleeding edge of technology and mm -hmm. he's talking about you know ufos actually being about esp i don't know it's just Man. it's really fascinating and yeah. i think it i think that goes into what you were just saying you know yeah i mean there's also it's it's kind of like one of those things this is why i get so like frustrated when folks are just quick to dismiss um you know technological possibilities, right? So mm -hmm. I, I don't remember if I I don't remember if I sent you this video, but anyways, it, when you super cool certain things and mm -hmm. you put it in a magnetic field, essentially this thing will you know appear to float on top of this object. Like you can manipulate it, you know, like turn mm -hmm. it a certain way and like it's just going to stay there. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of like things that we know of as as humans currently physics and chemistry and all these different things that we're continually discovering 
And yeah. I've read a really cool sort of article as well that was talking about the science of failure. And it was talking about like, you know, and hold, hold your tongue for just a second, but talking about Elon Musk and, you know, people mm-hmm. criticizing when the rocket launch doesn't go as planned or isn't a successful launch and all these kind of things. I think the misconception in the in sort of the general community will say is that like science is only about discovery and, and only about success and stuff. When when in reality, like science is built up so much on failure because you have oh, these yeah. ideas, these thoughts, and then you experiment them and it doesn't work out the way you do. And so you adjust and you keep on going to mm-hmm. sort of see if your theory is correct, you know? And so as such, we're still kind of discovering all these different things it's so hard for me to like truly like it's harder for me to believe that there's no such thing as any of this stuff, aliens, other life yeah. forms, you know, animals that are undiscovered, all this. It's harder for me to believe that it's just absolutely not anything. Right. Than it is for me to just like think, well, man, there's all kind there's infinite possibilities here, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I like a lot of this stuff so much and it's so intriguing and interesting. It's not so much that like, hey, I care if you listener are uh, someone that believes this stuff or if you're really just kind of here because, you know, you want to hear us talk about He-Man or Indie Rock, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. In either case, like both Tyler and I are so intrigued by like story that like being able to dig into these stories and stuff and these events and then sprinkle in freaking any kind of evidence on top of that and then multiple mm-hmm. witnesses, you know, it starts to get harder and harder to fake that stuff. Yeah. Right. And if that's true, then it becomes more and more interesting to me that stuff's happening out there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's totally bizarre and interesting and, well, I mean, rad, frankly. Yeah, dude. Anyway, I thought this case was the perfect thing to talk about to kind of kick off the summer. It's not necessarily like art. Camp Rad Strangeness, but it's certainly pointing in the direction of where we want to go. We just want to take you around the world yeah. to, uh, to, you know, to hear some of these stories that you may have heard before or certainly, hopefully, have never heard before. Yeah, those yeah. are the ones we really like. And speaking of stories that we've never heard of mm-hmm. that we would like to hear, if you would like to leave your story or your local urban legend or perhaps your own personal paranormal encounter... Head on over to thatwouldberadpodcast.com where you can leave your voice memo directly onto the site and we can take that and we can put it in a future episode. If you're not really down with that and you would rather send it in like a email form, head on over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. If you just want to drop us a line and say, hey, this is what I'm into, you guys are terrible or we like mm-hmm. you guys, why haven't you covered this? Head on over to our Instagram Jump in the comments. We want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to our website, you can can jump on any podcatcher. You can go and leave us a five-star review. It really helps. And if you haven't done it yet and you're a fan, you should be ashamed of yourself because it gets those extra ears, you know, on the show. If you're not getting enough of this free feed, head on over to our Patreon, The Rabbit Trail. We're really proud of it. And we have a lot of cool things planned, especially for this summer. And we'd love to have you over there. Is there anything else, Woody? Well, just don't forget that the first episode, Camp Rat Strangeness, is coming in full force June 19th. So mm-hmm. we'll see you there. Yeah. So bring that sunscreen. Get those mm-hmm. uh, inoculations. 
And uh, uh, don't forget that my birthday is two days after that. So hmm. Most keep it in your mind. We love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be red. That's the way it They provide. They're the ones that provided like the raw material to support shipbuilding for the navy in the navy. Hmm. Since in then, the, in the what? Uh, Eighteen twenty-eight. No, but you said what? It was the last thing you said. It was established. It was established to provide raw 
to provide raw material to, to support shipbuilding for the Navy in the area. Oh, I thought you said in the navies. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Like the 80s. <laughs> in the navies. Okay, go ahead. Hey, man, haven't seen you in a long time. What are you doing lately? I'm in the navies. <laughs> I in the navies. Um, let's see. Cut so all that it, out. Yeah, for sure. 